Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hey, everyone. I'm Sam Vinograd, a CNN national security analyst and a former member of the White House National Security Council. This is the Daily DC Impeachment Watch, a podcast devoted to in-depth reporting and analysis related to this historic investigation into President Donald J. Trump. Today, I'm filling in for regular host David Chalian. Today, another two witnesses testified as part of the impeachment inquiry. We had Dr. Fiona Hill, the woman that President Trump hired to be his senior aide on Russia, Ukraine, and other parts of Europe. Fiona Hill sat with President Trump when he met with President Putin in Helsinki and testified that the conspiracy theory related to Ukrainian interference in the 2016 election is actually something that was perpetrated and propagated by, you guessed it, Russian security services. Fiona Hill was joined today by David Holmes. I served with David Holmes at the White House. A lot of attention was paid on David Holmes' testimony that he overheard a conversation between U.S. Ambassador to the EU, Gordon Sumland, and President Trump from a restaurant in Kiev. We're going to dig through all of this with my two fantastic guests. In a few minutes, we'll be speaking with CNN senior reporter Vicki Ward. But first, I'm joined by my friend Ellie Honig. Ellie, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Ellie, you're the lawyer at this table. Tell me, how did the witnesses today contribute to any charges that are being built against President Trump? So both witnesses today, I think, offered sort of multifaceted benefits for the Democrats and contributed on a couple of levels. So starting with Fiona Hill, I I think she did sort of three main things. First of all, as you said, she just put to rest this conspiracy theory that it was Ukraine that hacked and interfered in the 2016 election. And I think there's a question of, well, okay, that's interesting, but why does it matter here? And to me, it matters because that is sort of the origin story that I think it looks like Rudy Giuliani used to get Donald Trump on board with this whole idea of, we have to get rid of Marie Yovanovitch. We we deserve investigations to be done into Ukraine. Remember, 2016 is one of the two things he wants investigations on. So I thought she was very clear and compelling on that. Second of all, Fiona Hill is the closest we're going to get, it looks like, to John Bolton, her boss. And that's a shame. And John Bolton, I want to say, can and should testify if he cared to, but he's choosing not to. So we are missing that key interaction that Bolton had directly with Donald Trump, which could be critical, but we may never get it. Fiona Hill gives us sort of the next best thing, which is Bolton's reaction to finding out that there was this quid pro quo in place and him ordering her to report it up the chain, which brings us to the third part, which is the involvement of the lawyers. Fiona Hill reported her concerns to NSC lawyer John Eisenberg, who then she she then learned reported up the the chain to the White House counsel to Pat Cipollone. Neither of the same White House counsel, by the way, that's stonewalling this impeachment inquiry. Is that accurate? Exactly. I mean, same person who sent the letter 
to, to Adam Schiff and the committee saying, you're getting nothing from us. Um, and neither of them, neither Eisenberg nor Cipollone, by all accounts, did anything in response to these complaints. So they are legitimate witnesses, but they're also behind the stone wall as well. And Ellie, the White House counsel knew what was going on. Yesterday, we heard from someone that, quote, Everyone was in the loop. Is that right? Yeah, I thought that was the most important single thing that he said. Everyone was in the loop. Well, from a legal standpoint, though, how much does that matter? If everyone was in the loop, does that have any bearing on whether this activity was potentially criminal or even if it wasn't potentially criminal, whether or not it was an abuse of power? It matters in a couple of respects. First of all, if we were looking at this from a strictly criminal standpoint, and there's a big footnote here, the footnote is Bill Barr. But if you had somebody I consider to be a legitimate, impartial, independent prosecutor, I think all these people would have legitimate potential criminal liability. Like what? Well, we're talking about conspiracy here. Everyone is in the loop means everybody was working together. Conspiracy just means two or more people working together to commit a crime. I think we could have bribery here, federal bribery. I think we could have extortion here. And I think we could have a conspiracy to obtain foreign election aid or solicit foreign election aid. Three different crimes. But everyone was in the loop is really just an everyday effective way of saying conspiracy. And then I think more broadly as to impeachment, it, it begs the question of, if everyone was in the loop, if all the key players, Pompeo, Mulvaney, Bolton, etc., knew what was going on, then how could Donald Trump have been the only person in the dark? It makes it so much more likely or less likely that Donald Trump you know, had no part of this. I mean, how could that have worked that everybody decided on their own to do this and Donald Trump was sort of unknown to him? He was saying, no, no, guys, we, we you know, I, I thought we were just trying to bust corruption here, but it turns out everyone else was pushing for this politically driven investigation, which happened to benefit me, Donald Trump. It's just exceedingly unlikely. Well, I want to turn to these investigations. Another witness today, David Holmes, a lot of attention has been paid to his overhearing a conversation between Gordon Sunland, Ambassador Sunland, and President Trump uh, on an unclassified phone from this restaurant in Kiev. Why was counsel today on the Democrat side so focused on getting David Holmes to talk about this call and getting David Holmes to testify that he heard Sunland and Trump talking about, quote unquote, investigations. Because it puts that word, investigations, directly in Donald Trump's mouth. And for all the compelling testimony that we've seen over the past couple weeks, we've not seen much of that. And a lot of that owes to the Stonewall, owes to the fact that the people who would have stood face to face with Donald Trump and talked this over are hiding or in hiding uh, or refusing to testify. So it's exceedingly rare that we have somebody who can directly put that word investigations in Donald Trump's mouth. That's what he wants. It reinforces it's consistent with the July 25th transcript. It's consistent with some aspects of Gordon Sondland's testimony. But I I found uh, Holmes to be a very credible witness. I, I believe pretty much every word he says. I mean, first of all, Sondland essentially confirmed every detail of it, with the one exception of whether he mentioned Biden's, which is important. But um, to me, there's very little question. I mean, even the little details of it ring true. Even the way they spoke to one another, they used that sort of, you know, guy talk with the four letter words. And Sondland said, yeah, that's how I would have communicated with him. Even the idea of overhearing him. I mean, I think we all know like cell phone loud talkers that you can hear from 15 feet away. Yeah, I'm not naming. I won't exactly. Dad, I'm not naming any names. But uh, we all know people who, who do that. So it just it rang true to me and it's consistent and corroborated. Well, something that was interesting in various testimonies, in fact, is the idea that President Trump and or Rudy Giuliani didn't 
actually we're not actually as focused on the Ukrainians actually doing these quote unquote investigations. They were focused on this public announcement of investigations. Yeah, that is such a telling detail to me. There's a lot of evidence that what they wanted, the deliverable, as a couple witnesses have called it this week, Vinman called it that, was the announcement. Him, Zelensky going to a mic and announcing they're doing these investigations. So first of all, that tells you what they wanted. They wanted something they could hold up as public fodder and say, look, this is happening. That confirms for me. And from your perspective, is that soliciting a foreign campaign contribution? I believe it is. Unfortunately for for me, Bill Barr does not believe it is. There's a legal dispute about there about whether generating opposition research or generating information that would be harmful to your opponent is a thing of value under the law. Bill Barr has said he does not think it is. In fact, Robert Mueller concluded in his in his investigation that he was not confident that it was. I'm going to respectfully disagree with both of those guys just as a common sense matter. I mean, anyone who's worked on a campaign, a common sense will tell you one of the most important things that you pay for, that you get, that you obtain is opposition research. I mean, talk to people here who've, who've worked political campaigns, John Avlon, Joe Lockhart, they will tell you one of the most important, most valuable things you have is opposition research. Of course, it's a thing of value. Um, so, yeah, I, I just I, I don't buy that argument at all. And it's interesting. I'll just conclude here. You know, we have sanctioned Russians and have active efforts underway to prevent foreign information warfare to interfere in our elections. So at a minimum, it appears that the president of the United States and or Rudy Giuliani was trying to encourage a foreign power to launch influence operations against Americans. That's a pretty scary point to think about, and it certainly adds to the work that our law enforcement community arguably has to do right now uh, rather than diminishing it. Yeah, I think Fiona Hill, Dr. Hill, really drove that point home today. She essentially made the argument of this all is playing right into the Russians' hands. Ellie, let's hold it right there. We're going to bring in CNN senior reporter Vicki Ward in just a moment. But first, this quick break. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm joined by CNN senior reporter Vicki Ward. Vicki, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Sam. And Ellie, thank you for sticking around. My pleasure. I want to turn to Fiona Hill's opening statement. Take a listen. Based on questions and statements I've heard, some of you on this committee appear to believe that Russia and its security services did not conduct a campaign against our country and that perhaps somehow, for some reason, Ukraine did. This is a fictional narrative that has been perpetrated and propagated by the Russian security services themselves. A fictional narrative that has been perpetrated and propagated by the Russian security services themselves. That's a pretty harsh statement, albeit an accurate one, coming from the president's former senior senior Russia advisor, right? It's extraordinary and crisp and damning, I have to say, in her Northern British accent. You know, I've reported a lot about how this fictional narrative got promulgated, basically, by Rudy Giuliani, the journalist John Solomon, and these two Ukraine-born Americans, Lev Parnas and Igor Fruman, who were clients of Rudy Giuliani, but also were in and out of Ukraine talking 
to prosecutors who were peddling this theory for many, many months, really, I think, until the dramatic firing of the ambassador to Ukraine, Marie Yovanovitch. There was a great danger that this story was being taken seriously, not least because Rudy Giuliani started waving around affidavits about it uh, on Fox News. John Solomon started to uh, write columns uh, in the Hill newspaper. And what we reported most recently, to Ellie's point that he made earlier on, was that the president was in the loop with what Rudy Giuliani and Lev Parnas and Igor Fruman was doing, that they all had a meeting in the White House in December to sort of discuss strategy in Ukraine. So to hear Fiona Hill just basically... Say that the president is parroting Putin's talking points. I mean, that's what we're yes. talking about here, right? I mean, it's it's... It's remarkable. I and mean, what's remarkable to me is, in a way, how successful they were at pushing this uh, fictional narrative. That because, because what they did achieve is two things. What they did achieve is, number one, they did get a prosecutor, Uri Lutsenko, to actually give an interview to The Hill in which he said this is before Zelensky was um, inaugurated. So in the old regime, Lutsenko said he would call for investigations. And then they did succeed in pushing out a career service diplomat, very distinguished woman, Marie Yovanovitch, in extraordinary circumstances, because they saw her as an obstacle to their financial plans in Ukraine. I mean, so when you think about that, the power of this fictional narrative, I think is, is really frightening. And this fictional narrative, by the way, is still being propagated. I mean, every right. time we hear Devin Nunes or others talk about Ukrainian election interference or the 2016 server, just keep in mind what's being retweeted, a, a Russian propaganda campaign. And Vicky, you mentioned Rudy Giuliani. You've reported extensively on him. I want to read you a tweet that Rudy wrote yesterday while testimony was underway. He tweeted, Republican lawyer doesn't do his own research and preparation and is instead Picking up Democrat lies, shame. Allow me to inform him. I have, in caps, no financial interest in Ukraine, none exclamation point. I would appreciate his apology. I want to ask Ellie to weigh in <laughs> on all of that in a, in a moment. But Vicky, what is Rudy even talking about here? Well, it's very interesting, isn't it? Because it begs the question... Why was Rudy Giuliani, according to CNN's own reporting, busy flying around with his clients um, and the, with whom he does have a financial relationship? He's been paid by well, Lev Parnas and Igor Fruman. It's, it, you have to be careful, Sam. An investor in, Lev, in a company by Lev Parnas paid Rudy Giuliani. So it's not a direct transaction, but it does nonetheless tie Rudy Giuliani to these two gentlemen. He certainly was happy to accept numerous private charters from them. And he has spent an awful lot of time hanging around with them and going with them um, to places like Poland, to Ukraine. We know that uh, they have multiple financial interests in Ukraine. We also know that they were in discussions about 
changes that could be made in their interest on the board of NAFTA gas. So I think that how Rudy Giuliani fits into this question is something that is currently under investigation. I would question the wisdom of that tweet. Ellie? I second you in (laughs) questioning the wisdom of that tweet. Um, Look, Rudy Giuliani is under criminal investigation by the Southern District of New York. That's been widely reported, including... Ellie, can you just remind our listeners, what is he being investigated for that we know about at this point? So we don't exactly know, right? It it has to do with his connections, I think, his financial dealings and potentially with these two guys, Parnas and Fruman, who are indicted. Next step. They've been indicted by the Southern District of New York. Reportedly, Giuliani is under investigation for for his financial dealings and for potential violations of FARA, the Foreign Agent Registration Act, meaning he was lobbying on behalf of a foreign country, Ukraine, without registering. It's kind of a... A foreign interest, in fact. It's not just a country. Right. A foreign interest. it's It's a... it's it's an administrative bureaucratic crime. I'd be very reluctant to charge it standing alone. Although as a I will push back on that one as a former government official, you may you you it may have been an administrative bureaucratic crime, but think about what we've learned just in the past couple of years. The idea that someone could be representing a foreign interest and could literally walk into the Oval Office and not disclose that. And could direct U.S. policy, whether it's Turkey, Ukraine, Russia, what have you, and manipulate the president of the United States to make policy decisions based on a foreign interest. Unfortunately, we've seen what those stakes are now. And so FARA, which used to be just kind of an esoteric uh, area of the law, I think is becoming much more relevant right now. Yeah, that's exactly why we have that statute. I, I think from a jury appeal point of view, it's tough. It's tricky, right? We've had there's been a mixed record of success. I mean, Paul Manafort was convicted on Farrah with other crimes, but Greg Craig, former Obama White House counsel, was acquitted uh, on a case that sort of collapsed. So, look, if I'm advising Rudy Giuliani, I would say get off of Twitter. You can't don't say anything publicly. What about Donald Trump? Well, of course. I mean, I would his phone needs to be chucked in the river or something, but. Rudy needs to be very careful. He shouldn't say anything because anything you say can and will be used against you. I mean, even something like this, this uh, this claim that I have no no financial ties to Ukraine, if that turns out to be untrue, that could be used against him as evidence of his state of mind. Why is he falsely denying this? It goes to a guilty conscience. So um, every tweet he sends out, even the seemingly innocuous ones or wacky ones, could end up uh, being something he regrets. A lot of regrets may be coming our way. <laughs> Vicki, Ellie, thank you for joining me on the daily DC impeachment watch. And thanks to the listeners out there. Remember, there's a new episode of this podcast every weeknight. So please make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or via your favorite podcast app. And while you're there, leave us a rating or a comment. It helps people find the show. We'll see you tomorrow. 